Good morning. My name is Ryan Hembry, and I'm one of the pastors here at Mosaic Church. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open them up to Psalm 146. I've really enjoyed preparing for this sermon, being able to spend time in this specific psalm. It's, it's been a sweet word, and it's on the shorter end, so I'm going to reread it in its entirety now. Psalm 146 says this, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over their sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked He brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever been let down? Has anyone ever here been let down? That's not very many. <laughs> raising your hand is not an indictment of who you came with. Just don't look them in the eye when you're raising your hand. Don't elbow them as you're raising your hand. How sweet is it that the Word of God has something to say on the subjects that so deeply affect our lives? Psalm 146 is both an exhortation of where to put our trust, but it's also this warning against where our place could possibly be misplaced. Being let down is often due to a couple of things. One is you have committed your trust to something or to someone. And then it's also that you have formed some level of expectations. And if, if there is a fracture of one of those two things, those are often the instances where we are let down. We've all been let down to varying degrees of severity. Some letdowns are inconsequential. You can shrug them off. You can get over them quickly. And sometimes a letdown is life-altering. Sometimes when you are let down, it is inconsequential, but it feels life-altering because we have made it into some kind of idol in our lives. For instance, I'm a Cowboys fan, and I, there we go, I grew up watching the Cowboys in the early 90s, and if you, if you don't know much about the Cowboys, if you didn't grow up watching them, they won three Super Bowls in the 90s, and so it caused me to develop this unhealthy expectation of how often they would win in the years ahead. They've since lost a lot of my trust, my expectations have been lowered, and so it's much less of a letdown when they lose in the first round of the playoffs, again. We have all experienced and will continue to experience being let down, having unmet expectations. At some point in your life, you will be let down by your spouse. Maybe, maybe not having a spouse has been a letdown for you in your life. You will be let down by your job or your friendships, or maybe a lack thereof has been unmet expectations for you. Your kids will let you down. Your parents will let you down. My kids are in here this morning. 
they've been let down by me. It's not going to be the last time that I've let them down. Your church will let you down. And that pains me to say that, but the church is made up of broken people. It's made up of humans. The church will let you down. It's really all I have for you this morning. Go in peace. <laughs> I'm kidding. There is good news. There is good news. The gospel literally means good news. But there is this precursor of bad news. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages for that sin is death. What we are deserving of is death. But there is hope. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Psalm 146 warns us not to put our trust anywhere but in the Lord Himself. And then it communicates precisely how He is worthy of it. If you're taking notes today or if you just have a really good memory, the main idea of the sermon this morning is this. Praise God. He alone is worthy of your trust. That's it. Praise God. He alone is worthy of your trust. God has a well-documented history of faithfulness. And He continues in His faithfulness today. And He will continue into eternity, unceasing in His faithfulness. This world, though, along with everything and everyone in it will fall short in both inconsequential and in life-altering ways. But God is worthy of your trust. Praise the Lord. Psalm 146 begins and ends in the same way, with the Hebrew phrase, Hallelujah, which translates to praise the Lord. In fact, each of the last five psalms in the book of Psalms begins and ends with the exhortation to Praise the Lord. While we don't definitively know who the author was of this psalm, we do see the writer turn from their hallelujah exhortation, their external hallelujah exhortation, and begin to encourage their very own soul. Verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, and then turns inwardly. Praise the Lord, O my soul. The author goes from this exhortation of their own soul this self-reminder into a proclamation. I will praise the Lord as long as I live, says verse 2. And I want you to notice something about the psalmist's praise here. It is without condition. We excel at giving praise to the Lord when He blesses us. When He answers our prayers, our hallelujahs abound. But when our plans go awry, when our prayers feel like they are falling on deaf ears, when we are experiencing great tragedy, our praises often dry up. The psalmist here is referring to a praise that is founded on faith. There is no other praise that can endure. We praise God in the best of times because we see and we experience His goodness. But we also praise Him in the midst of tragedy because we remember His goodness. It is the only way that our praises can endure. We praise God in the worst of times because we have faith. When we cannot see and we cannot experience His goodness, we have faith to believe and we remember that He is a good Father. And that is how our praise can endure. And how does the psalmist describe their praise? In verse 2, 
He continues, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do you ever wonder why we sing at church? Why we don't just speak truth? I always thought musicals were odd growing up because these two people would be having a conversation and then just one would burst into song. And I thought that was weird because I didn't see that anywhere else in my life in day-to-day life. But suddenly on screen, and I, I could see it, and it was just, it was odd to me. Why do we sing at church and not just speak truth? Ephesians 5, 18 through 20 says this, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gives this exhortation to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then see how that overflows into psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Jonathan Edwards was a prominent theologian and a pastor from the 1700s. And he asked, why should we express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose? So why in song rather than just in, in speaking truth? And why do we do it with music? And his answer was this, that such is our nature and our frame that these things have a tendency to move our affections. We can recite scripture and that is good and right. But to sing about the truths of God, bring about this extra element to our sense of sound, to our soul, and to our experience of worship. Corporately, we are able to proclaim God's goodness, the truths of God. But singing about them brings about this extra element that we talked about. Um, Corporately, what I was going to say is we are able to praise God. Our worship goes to the Lord, but it is also helpful for us to hear truths in song from those around us. We are reminded of those truths in song. Max Diner told me a quote recently that was very relevant here, that no one is humming a sermon on a Wednesday. Songs have this ability to stick with us. They glorify the Lord, and they are a blessing to us as well. Praise God. He alone is worthy of our praise. We see the counterpart of the proclamation that God alone is worthy of our praise in verse 3 where it warns, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day his plans perish. What does it mean by princes? It's not talking about British royalty. This isn't Prince William that the psalmist is referring to. It's not the artist formerly known as. The things of this world, more specifically here, people cannot save us. Not only that, they are temporary and will not last. Village Church pastor Matt Chandler was always fond of saying that our treasures, the possessions that we cherish, will one day reside in a landfill. And he wasn't just trying to be cynical. He was trying to encourage us to think about things that are eternal. Because things break. They don't live up to expectations. Their luster fades. I heard a story one time of of a man whose dream it was to own a Porsche 911. Now, I don't know much about cars, but uh, the story goes that he saved up his money, was so excited to go to the dealership and buy this car, and as he drives it off the lot, he pulls up to a stoplight, and up next to him pulls a 
pulls up a Porsche 911 Turbo. Now again, I, I don't know much about cars, but I know the 911 Turbo is more expensive and it's turboed. And just like that, sorry, I, I don't, this, there's probably more to it. But just like that, because of the comparison, his joy just faded. All his hopes and dreams just faded because of the comparison. And don't take the moral of the story that this person should have dreamt bigger, that he should have dreamt for the 9-11 turbo. That's not the point of this story. The point is that we cannot put our hopes and dreams in the things of this world. Now, real quick, before I go further, I do want to be clear about something. That while it is true that earthly things will let us down, that is true. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy the fruits of this world. When God formed the earth and the seas and the heavens, He was very creative and He was purposeful and He was good in doing so. His creation was and is good. He made food enjoyable. He made landscapes beautiful. And He made the night skies and sunrises breathtaking. It's not that we can't enjoy the things of this world. It's that we cannot make them ultimate. Paul in Romans likewise warns us not to worship creation instead of the Creator. The psalmist rightly points out that men cannot be trusted because they cannot save. Men cannot save. Humans cannot save. Even the most powerful ones. They cannot be trusted to leave no child left behind or to be the change that we need. They can't be trusted to make America great again or to build back better. Do you hear these invitations and these appeals for your trust in these campaign slogans? And the American president might be the most powerful person in the world. And I am asserting that there is equal representation on both sides of the aisle of presidents falling short, not being able to save. So how much more will we be let down by those that are less powerful? By those around us, those in our lives, our boss, our friends, our spouses, our parents, our children. How much more will they let us down? And I'm not stressing uh, the failures of these people so that you will regard these relationships with skepticism. I'm not asking you to trust those around you any less. But instead, so that you will not heap the pressures of the world on their heads to be saviors, because that will set them up for massive failure. Instead, the hope is that you enjoy these relationships as part of God's wonderful creation. And even the very best people, those that you love and admire, are here with you temporarily. Admitting that things and people will let you down, that they will not last forever, is not to lower your opinion of them, but to have right opinion of them, which now gives you this freedom instead to enjoy them. So then, if salvation does not come from humans, where does it come from? Who can we trust? The author says in verse 5, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. We are not left without hope. We are not left without someone to put our trust in. God is the author of salvation. 
and His faithfulness is unending. And what can we draw from this phrase, God of Jacob? It recalls the Abrahamic covenant, Jacob's grandfather. Abraham had this prayer for a child, and God answers his prayer, but then he goes above and beyond more than anything Abraham could have thought to pray for. God promises Abraham's children will be as numerous as the stars. Also, this phrase, God of Jacob, calls to attention the fact that he uses ordinary, broken people to accomplish his purposes, which is good news, isn't it? Jacob was a man who talked his brother out of his birthright. He lied to his father to take his brother's blessing. He stole livestock from his uncle. His life was often characterized by grasping at things that were not his. Yet he was chosen to be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. If you showed up here this morning feeling unworthy of the love of God, hear me. You are unworthy of God's love, and so am I, and so is everyone in this room. Yet He chooses to pour out His love on you in abundance, lavishly on you. Praise God alone. He is worthy of our praise. Deep levels of trust are earned. They're not just given. You can meet somebody new and you can extend some level of trust to them, but deep levels of trust are earned. They are not just given. So what do we know about God that gives us faith that He is trustworthy? As we said earlier, God has a well-documented history of faithfulness. Verse 6 says that He is the God that created heaven and the earth the sea, and all that is in them. That's a great start to a resume for trust. As a family, we went to the beach earlier this summer, and when you stand on the sand, the ocean just seems endless. It just seems to go on forever. It just seems vast. Really, though, because of the curvature of the earth, you can only see about three miles out. That's really all you can see. For as far as it looks, you can see about three miles out. And even then, you're just seeing on the surface. You can go grab a snorkel and some scuba gear and you can begin to explore the depths of the ocean and the wondrous creatures that God has created. But even then, you're only covering a very small area of this earth on this world. Such is the vastness of God. In verse 7, it continues with the measure of God's faithfulness. He keeps faith forever. Not just throughout generations, but that is true. He keeps faith forever. And where does God pour out His faithfulness? Who does God pour out His faithfulness onto? Verse 7 says, He executes justice for who? For the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry and He sets prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind and lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous and watches over the sojourners, upholds the widow and the fatherless. Those who are vulnerable, those who are in need, those who are not perfect. Is that anyone here this morning? This is good news, church, because not only is he capable, he is good. And not only is he all-powerful, but he has deep affection for you. And I do want to say a word to those of you 
that hear this psalm and have a hard time resonating with these words. Maybe you read through the Bible and read about God's faithfulness and it just doesn't ring true for what's going on in your life. Maybe you are the widow or the orphan and maybe you don't feel upheld by the Lord. Maybe you're the oppressed and you are not seeing justice in your life. As a church, we want to be that reminder that God is with you. We are with you. We would love to pray for you and with you. This life is a joy in so many ways. But there are also many ways that we can be let down in this life. And the Lord is working in your life even when you don't feel it. In those joys and even when you are let down, the Lord is working in your life. And the sorrows of this world are temporary. And there will be one day where all will be made right. Where death will be conquered where the blind will be able to see, there will come a day where all will be made right. Psalm 146 begins and ends with the exhortation to praise the Lord. There's also this two-sided exhortation where not to place your trust and then why the Lord is the only logical recipient of your trust. And the bulk of the psalm focuses on these sweet reminders of why the Lord is worthy of your trust. In some ways, it's a concise summation of the Christian life. We praise the Lord. As believers, we praise the Lord. We guard ourselves against constructing idols out of temporary things by misplacing our trust in the things of this world, and the people of this world. And then we rehearse, we gather together to rehearse the mighty acts of God so that we can remember why He is worthy of our trust. And with this, what does it mean to praise the Lord? How can we practice that? We can know God, we can love Him, and we can show Him. That's what we do with the things in our life that are worthy of praise. We know them, we love them, and we show them. We can find ways to understand God more deeply through prayer, through His Word, through the testimony of the saints. That's why Baptism Sunday is so special, because we get to hear these, te- these testimonies of tangible ways that God is working in our lives. We can orient our lives around the things that He cares about. Are we advocates for the oppressed like He is? Do we have hearts for the hungry and for the prisoners? Are we helpers to the blind and those bowed down? Do we watch over the sojourner and uphold the widow and the fatherless? Do we spend our time in prayer praying over these people, praying for the people that the Lord cares about? Do we commit our resources and our time and our gifts toward helping these people that the Lord cares for? One of my very favorite things about this psalm is the description of the character of God that is so richly displayed by what He has done and by who He cares for in this psalm. Praise the Lord. He alone is worthy of our praise. He will reign forever. Your God to all generations. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to have time this morning to gather and to praise and worship You for what You have done and for who You are. And we pray that we would spend our lives worshiping you.
getting to know you more deeply through your word. We pray for testimony in this church. We pray for new baptism and new life in this church. We pray that you would save in the life of our body. And we pray that you would move throughout the city of Richardson, that your name would be made famous in this city, in this state, in this nation, and in this world. And God, we pray these things in your name by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.